Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule, but before we do, guys, I think it's time for a segment that we haven't done in a long time. That's right. It's time for Time Ambiguous Banter about major cultural events that may or may not have happened this past weekend because we record these episodes a few weeks in advance. Clayton, Nikki, how was your Thanksgiving break? It was amazing. I ate a lot. I had stuffed shells. I heard Clayton's turkey caught on fire. It was it was. It was crazy, but you know what? We salvaged enough that we, we got some good good food and, uh, you know, it was just tryptophan after that, just total <laughs> nap straight up. And But that Black Friday thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah. Did you hear about that? No, I don't pay attention to the shopping stuff, but <laughs> oh. I am a football fan and yeah. I'm a New York Giants fan and the Giants and the Cowboys played on Thanksgiving and that was exciting. Was it? Who won? This is time ambiguous banter. <laughs> not, not, specific. Time, not time specific banter. <laughs> but I'm sure I enjoyed was, I'm sure I enjoyed portions of the game. Yes. If, was, if not much the ending, sportsmanship. There was, was there was sportsmanship and there's lots of sportsing. <laughs> they they advanced and retreated and there were plays. There was fumbles and fumbles inter- and flags. Interceptions. And I was eating snacks the whole time. Ooh. Ooh. It was yummy. I was going to say what yummy, kind of snacks, but that snack. would be Fruit too specific. Fruit and cheese and cured meats. So a charcuterie. No. Oh, that's too, no. Fancy. too fancy. Yeah. Too fancy yeah. for a football game. Yeah. Got it, got a it. A bowl of grapes, some cheese and some crackers and some sausage. I'm amazed that I actually said that word correctly. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Time Ambiguous Banter about major cultural events that may or may not have happened this past weekend because we record these episodes a few weeks in advance. Oh, Clayton, what are we talking about today? <laughs> what are we talking about? Uh, we're actually starting a new book of the Bible. We are in the book of Mark, and we're going to be in Mark through the end of this year, uh, kind of a, an Advent uh, Christmas time focus on Jesus. Um, the book of Mark is a gospel, which means it's a biography of Jesus. So this is actually the, the book that we recommend for people who are starting reading the Bible because it is the shortest of the gospels. It's the one that if you say, I'm going to read a chapter every day for two weeks, you can kind of learn the life of Jesus fairly quickly. Um but it is uh, a picture at who Jesus is. So he's the center of our faith. Um, And so it's good to come back to it again and again. In the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, we come back to a gospel twice a year. Uh, So it's one of the books that we actually read multiple times over the course of four years, um, because we just think it's that important to, to keep turning back uh, to who Jesus is. So uh, we're going to read the first 15 verses of the book of Mark. And this is, uh, it's interesting to pay attention to the beginning of a gospel, because all the gospels start off in different ways, and they kind of set the tone for the angle on who Jesus is that you're going to get for the rest of the book. So like if you open up the book of Matthew, you get this genealogy. And so the connection of Jesus to his history and Israel and all the things that came in the past is really important in Matthew. Luke, you get these stories of the Christmas story that we're going to, you know, you get all of these kind of birth things and there's a certain tone that's set with that. Uh, John has this big lofty thing. Mark, um, Mark's kind of action-packed. It kind of goes from one thing to the next. You're going to see um, kind of some scene changes pretty quickly, even in the first 15 verses. Uh, So you're going to notice that. So, um, I'll have uh, uh, Eric read uh, verses 1 through 15, and then we'll jump in on observations. Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. 
A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. All right. We begin with O, observations. What did you see in this passage? For me, um, and I'm, I'm just kind of connecting this to the fact that it's the first week of Advent. And normally on the first week of Advent, we focus on this theme of hope. And when it says the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, um, that is, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's a lot of hope right there coming to, to people who are hearing it. So to me, that was the, the big thing that popped out. Uh, one of my observations is how fast this is moving with very little desire to fill in the gaps for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for example, uh, let's see, where was it? Oh, verse 14. After John was put in prison, it's like, oh, wait a minute. He wait, was Wait, what? What did he do? <laughs> if you're only reading the gospel of Mark and you don't have the other details from the other gospels yeah. to fill in what's going on, you're like, oh, okay, I guess John was thrown in prison. So it, I, one of my observations is how fast this is moving. Yeah, there's, there's actually a, uh, a phrase you might see a lot. In, at the beginning of verse 12, it says, at once. Um, in, in the Greek, and I know you don't have access to the Greek, but you'll see this phrase again. There's like one word that means immediately, now, at once. Like it's translated all these different ways, but it occurs at the beginning of like, every paragraph basically in Mark. Cause it's like, and then, and then, and then, and then at once immediately he went and cause it's like, Jesus is on the move. He's got a mission uh, that he's going to, but yeah, sometimes, sometimes certain things get sort of glossed over uh, as you do that. Um, one of the things that I noticed here um, when we're doing observations, sometimes you're looking for truths about God or titles uh, for God. And I noticed at the very beginning, um, it says the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. Now, this is a little preview of the rest of the book. Um, you can actually think of the book of Mark in two halves, okay? So the first half is focusing on, is Jesus the Messiah? And it culminates in his disciples. There, there's this scene right at smack in the middle of Mark where after all this time with Jesus, the disciples are asked, Jesus is like, who do you say that I am? And they finally say, you're the Messiah. We've realized it. And then uh, you read the second half and you get to the very end, there's a, uh, a soldier at the cross when Jesus is dying. And he says, surely this man is the son of God. And so you can actually look at that as an outline of the book of Mark, uh, describing who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. 
and he's the son of God. And the book of Mark is going to show you what those two things mean. We get this interesting introduction to John the Baptist, like narrowing in on how wild of a guy he seems like, like, you know, he's, he's living in the wilderness and he's eating locusts and honey and he's got camel, it's like clothes made out of camel hair. It's just, it's just a really weird depiction of like who he is. Like what, I guess what was like, what was the thought behind needing to like, uh, like go into that kind of detail about this guy, but then not feel like we needed all the other detail around all the other things. They got his, his wardrobe, but not his death <laughs> explained. I, <laughs> or, yeah, his, his, yeah. or his arrest, I should say, is yeah. explained. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly what we're, what we're driving at here with these details. I mean, I wear a leather belt around my waist. Right. I eat honey. Uh, I don't eat locusts, but locust. I, did, I did have lime crickets last year at Christmas because my one Ooh. of my nephews sent as a Christmas gift a bag of... Lime, Lime crickets. crickets. Hmm. Uh, and I don't know if clothing made of camel's hair, is that luxurious or I, yeah, is that rugged? Rug, like, right? is, is this thing, John the Baptist, he was a, he was a fine-dressed man. <laughs> Leather I, belt, camel hair. I, yeah. I'm not thinking that's fine-dressed. <laughs> um, so if you look at the, the uh, note in you know, your study Bible, the NIV study Bible on verse 6, um, it says that this was what was worn by Elijah and other prophets in the Old Testament, and it has a few references where that would be, and that the locust and wild honey indicates living simply, simply off of the land. You know, the mm. locusts were clean food for Jews to eat, um, so it was okay for them to eat those kind of bugs, apparently. Um, but this is supposed to show that John is kind of the same type of person as some of these prophets who called Israel to repent back in the Old Testament. So there was a significant there, there was significance, a significance there. Yes. Okay. But I can, but it it would not surprise me if many of you who are reading along saying, "What the heck is going on?" I also wear a leather belt like the Old Testament prophets. <laughs> I I'm just I'm just pointing out a similarity between me and the Old Testament prophets. Yeah, th- this is true. There's nothing more, nothing less, Nikki. I'm Probably only, shop at the same stores too. I'm only right. pointing out. <laughs> <laughs> he got his belt at J.C. Penney's. I don't, I don't know why J.C. Penney. That, that, that was your it's go-to the, store. It's the funniest store I could think of to say that. I don't know why I think that's funny. Shopping at Penny's just sounds funny to me. Okay. Um, I Another one of my observations is a few of the verses, like John says, I will baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Even if you don't know what in the world he's talking about, it seems like, okay, I can do this thing, but... He's obviously greater. I'm not even worthy to, in the verse preceding, I'm not even worthy to bend over and tie his sandals. And then obviously, Jesus is a big deal. When you get to verse 13, he shows up, and now he's being tempted by Satan. Yeah. They're, they're, they're marshalling the big guns against him, so he must he must, must be He must be something, yeah. You know, it's interesting, though. Like, to how about what you said, like, obviously there's a difference between John and Jesus, right? And like, who could do what? And John saying, I'm not even worthy to like stoop down and untie his sandals. But yet in verse nine, Jesus comes and is baptized by yeah, that's John. A, that's always a weird question, isn't it? Yeah. What's So especially when you look at, um, in verse four, it says it's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, Mark hasn't tipped his hand that, you know, G- Jesus uh, doesn't sin, but we know that. And, we, and you read that and you say, so why did he go and get baptized? What do, what do you guys think of that? I have heard more than one pastor reduce it to, he was just setting an example for us. And I do not accept that that is the 
totality of the answer. The fact that God would rip open the heavens and call something out, like it's not just like, well, just just show them what they ought to do. Like something significant must be happening here if God himself is going to speak from heaven about it. Well, and then there's others that say that this was the beginning of his public ministry. So it's it's you know, him getting baptized, Jesus getting baptized, and then God making this very public display of saying, this is my son in whom I love and I'm deeply pleased with, right? Or however he yeah, phrases that. The question but, is like, why this act though to be yeah. the opening? I, I, think, I think it helps to reflect on what baptism means. And sometimes when we think about baptism, uh, we think, well, it's just... It's just a ceremony that sort of declares that I'm I'm a follower of Jesus, which you know obviously it, it is that, but it, the depth of what it means is so much more. When you you think about baptism, there is um, a sense that you are your old life is dying and your new life is coming up. And when Jesus showed up to say, "I'm here to rescue humanity. I'm gonna I'm gonna rescue all of these people, and their problem is this: because of sin, they're supposed to die." They're supposed to go down and not come up. And so for him to say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, even though I don't need this, I don't need to repent of my sin. I don't need to be cleansed of my sin. I don't need to die for my sin. I am in solidarity with them. I am, I am going to represent them so much so that I will go through the process of what needs to happen to them so that they don't have to do that. So there's, there is something about saying, I'm going to go down and come up. I'm going to be buried and come back alive. I'm going to uh, own sin and and be cleansed and, and take away sin that Jesus is saying, this is what people need, so I'm going to do it for them. And so I think there I think there's something about the solidarity that Jesus has with people that's that's going on here. Yeah, and it is a little confusing. I mean, it was even confusing to John the Baptist. We don't we don't see it in the Gospel of Mark, but in the Gospel of Matthew, John asks the question, wait a minute, mm-hmm. you want me to baptize you? You should be baptizing me. I think there's also there, there's some other symbolism here that's that's worth noting because it, it makes some sense of a few other things in the passage. So, um, at the beginning of Israel's story, there's a really important event where where the people of Israel cross through some water, and the, and throughout the rest of the New Testament, it's connected to baptism. Before it's when they cross the Red Sea. So if they want to get out of the land of slavery, they've got to they've got to uh, be released, and then they've got to cross the Red Sea. And then what do they do? They end up spending 40 years walking around a desert and they're, they are tested and tempted to sin. And so when you see this story where Jesus shows up and he goes through some water and then on the other side, he is led by the spirit for 40 days to wander around in the wilderness. Everybody who knows the story of Israel is thinking, oh wait, I know this pattern. Go through water, wander around in the desert with the spirit leading you and be tempted to sin. That's our story. That's the story of how our, our country started. And, and so when you look at it and you realize, oh, wait, Jesus is the guy who goes through all that. And then instead of falling to Satan, he actually resists Satan. It, he's doing something that Israel didn't do. Because when they went through that story, it did not go so well. Um, but when Jesus does it, suddenly he's doing it a different way. So he's identifying with them and, going, and kind of recapping uh, their story through these kind of symbolic actions here. What else do you see? Uh, the other thing that I see here coming off the heels of what you said about Jesus wandering around in the wilderness as kind of following that pattern that Israel went through is part of uh, Israel, like their task, we'll say, was to represent God to other nations. And they failed at doing that. But then here we, we see Jesus come out of the wilderness and the first thing he does is he heads to Galilee to start pro- proclaiming the good news to Jesus and the coming of the kingdom. So he took over where 
where they kind of left off and did not even get close to accomplishing. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he, he's now carrying out what they, they failed to do. That's great. You two are on a roll. I feel like I should just sit here and not say anything because you guys are, <laughs> you guys are letting it rip. Uh, observation from verse 15, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the good news. My observation here is there's something bigger than just being forgiven. And, and I'm, I'm thinking about this as someone that's been in church a long time. And sometimes we reduce Jesus to your sins can be forgiven so that you can go to heaven and not hell. But that's not what Jesus comes proclaiming. He, he comes proclaiming the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. That's the good news, that the kingdom of God is near. So somehow, as I'm reading the gospel of Mark, I should be asking myself the question, what the heck does that mean? And hopefully the gospel of Mark is going to answer that question for me. Yeah. And, and for those of you who are maybe new to the Bible, when we talk about the good news, you may have also heard the word gospel. It's the same word. So sometimes some translations say gospel, some say good news, but that's what we're proclaiming. It's the main message. And when Jesus sums it up in a sentence, he says it has something to do with the kingdom of God, that, that uh, God is coming to take over and put things the way he wants them to be as the king. Um, and that... Um, that's really amazing. <laughs> like that's that's something you should be excited about. Uh, that the that God is going to take over and put things um, the way they were meant to be, and and uh, the way that He intended life to work. So uh, there's something really positive about that. Although it gets it gets a little threatening when uh, you start to read the gospel and realize what that requires and what that what, what that means. All right, let's talk about uh, M in comma. Let's let's uh, start with meditation here, and let's actually uh, camp out on that final. Um, verse in the reading here, um, because I really do think it is pretty central to the the, the message of Mark. Uh, so let me read it again. You're going to have 45 seconds, have some prayerful pondering, talk to God about what this means. The time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Let's talk about M, message. How would you sum up? Oh my, here it is. That sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. Have you ever read something and immediately forgot it? Maybe had to read an entire page all over again? It's kind of like if someone's talking to you and they're not sure you heard them, so they ask, what did I just say? Maybe you know, maybe you don't. Sometimes people ask, how can I hear from God? Well, God is speaking to us through the Bible. So, after you read the daily reading, it's good to ask, what did God just say to me? Try to write it down in a sentence or two, and that's the M in the comma method, message. And this has been your comma tip of the week. All right, so what is your message from this passage? Um, The message that I got out of this is, Jesus is our only hope. 
Um, again, kind of tying it to that Advent week one and focusing on the concept of hope, but also the whole good news, gospel, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. Like whatever is going on in a person's life, whatever's going on in the world at this particular moment in time, um, the only way that we uh, get to be a part of that, that redeeming of the world is to put our hope in Jesus. And um, to me, that's, that's the biggest thing. Jesus is our only hope. If we're looking for other, looking at for hope in other things or in other people, we're just not going to find it. My message is to repent and believe as my response to the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. So it's, it seems like there is a, an invitation being extended. Even if you don't fully understand everything that the kingdom of God brings and means, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. So this is a good thing. How do you respond to whatever invitation is being extended? Somehow repentance and choosing to believe are the human responses. And so my message is repent and believe. My message is from those uh, parallels that we saw between Jesus and Israel and um, and just him, him identifying with humanity. Um I, I, my message would be this: Jesus did what we couldn't do. That he, the, the, when we talk about why the kingdom comes, it really hinges on the fact that Jesus didn't sin, but he did pay the price for it. He, he took up the, the mission that we had dropped. Uh, he was tempted, but he, he resisted. Like all of those things that we failed at, that Israel failed at, that humanity failed at, that all, like he's coming back and doing it right. And that's why he can bring the kingdom. So Jesus did what we couldn't do um, is at the heart of, of what's going on here. So let's talk about application. What do we do in response to this? Um, for me, I want to ask the question, like, where does my hope lie? Um, where am I placing my hope? Where am I placing my trust, my expectation, my anticipation? Like, where, where is that at? Is it in myself? Is it in other people? Is it in the things that I'm accomplishing? Um, where does it lie? And if it's not lying in Jesus or in the coming of his kingdom, uh, then definitely in the wrong. I'm definitely in the wrong frame of mind. Well, I chose my message to be repent and believe. So, so that's your it's kind of, application it's too. A, it's, a quick, it's a quick jump from my message to my application. If, if repenting is changing your mind about a matter, changing your behavior or a course of action, and choosing to believe, then... Uh, then I need to make my application to repent and believe. So let me, let me ask a question about that because that is something that I think a lot of people associate with the beginning of following Jesus. Like I repented, I believed in Jesus, and now I'm a Christian. And now there must be other things for me to do. You, you've been following Jesus for decades. So what, what would it look like for you or for me or someone who's been following Jesus for a while to repent and believe, not the, for the first time, but ongoing? No, I think of repentance, that first, that initial repentance, when you first surrender your life to Jesus, there, there, it is a, a categorical shift from I am my own God doing my own thing to there is a God that is not me that I'm going to acknowledge and surrender to. So it is completely changing your mind about your life, the world you live in, who's in charge, everything. Whatever you were thinking prior to coming to an understanding of who Jesus is, you have to completely change your mind. 
So that's the major shift. But then repenting, repentance in the life of a believer should be an ongoing and consistent thing. And the way I always think about it is, you ever go bowling? Yeah. To me, to me, it's like when you put the rails up in the gutter. Uh, it's those kind of redirect the ball to hit the pins. Like to me, like repentance is constant redirection from the Holy Spirit, right? So it's like the Holy Spirit's going like tapping you on the shoulder saying, hey, you're thinking wrong about this. You're, 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 you're moving down a bad path. Let me, let me just kind of nudge you over this way. And so it's, it's not as huge as the initial repentance, but now it's just constant course correction, Every day, every day of your life. So for me, repentance is a beautiful thing because it allows you to stay on course with the good news that is the kingdom, to live the kind of life that God created us to live. And what I think what comes with that is believing that the kingdom of God is actually good. Like yeah. it is the best way to be on the planet. Um, and so repentance and belief to me always go hand in hand on a daily basis. So my application, which is related to the message that Jesus did what we couldn't, um, is to take time to actually focus on that, to say, what, what is it that Jesus did that's so definitive? Not just as an example, not just as something that I should do, but the way he, he accomplished something that no matter how hard I try, no matter what I, you know, the best day I've got is not going to accomplish that. To say, look, look Jesus is distinctive, that he did it right, he did it for me, um, and I want to fix my eyes on him. So uh, even some of that believing part, you know, is turning back and saying, all right, on the day when I fail, it turns out, it depended on Jesus, not me. He did it when I couldn't. Uh, even on the day when I'm doing great, I look at Jesus because it, it turns out my best is not enough. He did what we couldn't do. And so to continue to put your eyes on Jesus, in, in some ways, um, you would think that that might lessen your, you know, oh, well, it doesn't matter what I do then. Uh, in some ways, it it frees you up to say, you know what? Um I'm I'm not I'm not as helpless here because the power of Jesus is is what's at work uh, to make it so that I can I can uh, follow after Him. So I keep looking at Him uh, and I'm more able to follow Him. That's good stuff. All right, friends, that's all that we have for you this week. Join us next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage. And in the meantime, if you are not following along with the reading plan, you can check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and to start reading along. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.